The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, what do you think the reaction would be if there was an event in the UK that claimed 2,800 lives and affected thousands more? And although a government agency was involved decades on, many victims, many families have yet to be compensated. Caroline Wheeler is the author of a new book, Death in the Blood, which sheds light on the NHS's worst treatment disaster. And Caroline Wheeler, political editor of The Sunday Times, joins me now. Caroline, good morning. Good morning. Now, we've had a similar saga here, but we have resolved that saga in Ireland and we'll come to that maybe in a little while. But funny, this morning I was uh, talking to some of the younger members of the team here and I was talking about Factor 8 and they said, what is Factor 8? So perhaps we need to go back to the beginning of this scandal. Yeah, it's a very long, long long-running saga for us, especially in the UK. Um, But there was lots of medical advancements that were happening um, in the sort of um, mid-19th century, which was um, to do with the um, blood plasma and the treatment, in particular, of haemophiliacs. And in the 1960s, there were great big advances made. Uh, They discovered first cryoprecipitate, which was a sort of freeze-dried blood plasma, which they could use to treat um, people, including haemophiliacs. Um, And then came this incredible advancement, which they realised that if they um, subject um, this particular product to a sort of centrifugal process, they could distill it yet further because haemophiliacs basically are short of a coagulation factor in their blood, which means that they bleed out, they can't clot properly. And so they needed to create a synthetic factor eight in order to stop them uh, bleeding out, as it were. Um, And this was something that they hit upon um, uh, in the late 1960s, early 1970s. Um, But they needed a large amount of blood, uh, which was often pooled, which means it came from many different donors um, in order to to make this particular product. And the very sad thing uh, for haemophiliacs, particularly in the UK, but also around the, the rest of the world, was that this blood was often sourced um, in America from paid donors, uh, some of which were uh, alcoholics, um, people on Skid Row, people that really needed the money, and also often prisoners who were paid up to $7 for a pint of blood, which meant that sadly the blood supply was not as clean as it should be. So it was contaminated with various things, uh, hepatitis C and uh, most notoriously, I suppose, HIV. So you had Factor 8 being manufactured from this contaminated blood, which was then purchased by blood transfusion services who were uh, administering Factor 8 to haemophiliacs. That's correct. That's exactly what happened. And it took a long time, even though um, it was very clear that there were risks of this particular process. And there was this groundbreaking documentary uh, made in 1975 by the World in Action team, uh, which visited some of the, the clinics where they were pooling this blood and, and getting it from donors. Um, and they had already identified a link at that point between the blood products that were being sourced uh, in areas like San Francisco and an outbreak of hepatitis amongst a group of haemophiliacs in the UK. And that was really just the start of the story, uh, because obviously what came next was the advent of the AIDS pandemic. And sadly, um, this process was still going on at that point. Um, and that is one of the ways in which um, the AIDS virus entered the blood supply chain in the UK and in other countries around the world. 
um, creating, as you've described, the worst treatment disaster in NHS history. Because uh, people are being treated with a product that's supposed to be doing them good and in fact it is doing the reverse. Now, um, there there was one particular family, the Cornes family, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, C-O-R-N-E-S, and that family was destroyed by this scandal. Completely destroyed. Um, They were seven brothers in this one particular family six of whom had haemophilia and were infected uh, with all litany of blood-borne viruses from HIV to hepatitis C. Some had AIDS, some only had hepatitis, um, but five of them are now dead. And it's an absolutely tragic story. Um, The first of them who died infected his partner, which meant that she also died. They had a son who was an orphan by the age of 10, Um, Others in the family, uh, uh, one of the younger ones was Roy Corns. He ended up being absolutely front page of every newspaper across the country. Um, He was accused of basically infecting women in a revenge, uh, a sort of attack for what had happened to him. Although having spoken to his family uh, many, many times over this saga, it it actually turns out that, I mean, he he was 18, 19 when he discovered that he had HIV. He wasn't warned of the risks. He didn't know, um, according to them, um, what he was doing. And if you remember, we didn't have a public information campaign about AIDS and HIV mm. until the late 1980s. So actually, there was there was a kind of real um, knowledge void at that time about how the virus was spread. And he did infect um, the three other women and was completely vilified for that. Even when they buried him, people came to the cemetery to throw rocks at his grave. And this family have suffered and suffered again. And only this year, just as the book um, was about to, to, to come and be published as it is today, um, the last brother, John, who was a really lovely man, uh, died of hepatitis C and the related effects of that. So that has been an entire generation of that family wiped out in this scandal. And of the seven brothers, six uh, inherited uh, the the gene, which comes down the mother's line and doesn't affect, for example, the daughter, Merle, the sister of the the boys, uh, the men who died. Uh, She doesn't have it. But their mother then felt terribly guilty that in some way she was genetically responsible for their misfortune. Absolutely terrible guilt and and that's actually another part of the story um of of this contaminated blood scandal there are so many of them that have almost survivors guilt even those that have been infected themselves and still struggle with some of those uh, debilitating illnesses feel almost guilty that they are still alive when so many of their friends you know often these were um people being treated in you know children's hospitals together and they they saw their friends die And I can't imagine what it must have been like as a mother to feel that sort of responsibility that, you know, something that had been passed through your um, bloodline had caused such devastation uh, to her sons. And of course, to her daughter, uh, Merle, who has nursed her brothers, all of them, in fact, uh, through, you know, terrible, terrible illnesses. Uh, this is a, an example, I suppose, of uh, the, the greatest devastation to one family, but there's been all sorts of devastation. Children left orphaned, as you mentioned, um, you know, both parents uh, succumbing perhaps to HIV because, you know, if the hemophiliac being the male contracts it and then unwittingly passes HIV on to uh, his partner and so on and so forth. Now, why has it taken so long for the British government to come to terms with this? 
oh gosh, if only we could take a leaf out of the, the book in Ireland, um, we would have been resolved on this issue some time ago. It's a really complex um, picture, I think, in terms of why they haven't done the right thing. I mean, the liability on all of this um, is something that the government has always wanted to avoid, I think, because they have been so fearful of the financial consequences of it. And even now, the Treasury estimates that the cost of um, the bill for paying uh, these individuals uh, what they uh, are likely to be entitled to ranges from between five billion and twenty-two billion. And I think because some of the decisions that the Westminster government made, particularly around self-sufficiency of blood supply, which was something they announced in 1975, just as that documentary was being aired and has never been achieved, absolutely never been achieved, um, I think gives them real cause for concern. And I think some of the evidence that has been given during the course of the public inquiry sort of explains the mentality of some of the Whitehall departments involved here. Um, Jeremy Hunt, when he was a backbench MP and gave evidence to the inquiry for the first time, said, talked about the state closing ranks behind a lie. And I think that's something definitely from having uh, looked into this tragedy over the last 20 years, that would definitely be my assessment, mm. is that the state itself kind of assumed a defensive role rather than trying to help these individuals who had been infected through absolutely no fault of their own. They took on this defensive stance to kind of say, it's not us, it's not us, it was an accident, you know, it's not on us to, to do anything about it. But I think it's coming down the track, uh, it will be resolved. The public inquiry sadly has just uh, announced that it will be delaying its findings by another six months, which is devastating for the families uh, involved uh, and the victims uh, who are still dying at the rate of four, sorry, one every four days. Um, but they will get those answers. Um, we just hope that once those findings are heard, the government act quickly here. Yeah. The problem being it's likely to come hard on the heels of a general election in the UK. And I think there's real concern, again, amongst the victims now that this issue could yet again yeah. be kicked down the road. There have been uh, interim payments suggested. Have they been delivered? And are there people who are being cruelly excluded from compensation? There has been um, an interim compensation payment made for £100,000, which was made last summer. It was after a recommendation uh, by the chairman of the inquiry, Sir Brian Langstaff. Those payments went uh, to the affected victims. So, in effect, those uh, individuals that are still alive um, but Sir Brian Langstaff uh, made a further recommendation back in Easter where he said that actually those payments should now be extended uh, both to the parents of, of those that have died um, and also to the orphans um, that have been left behind. Um, the Westminster government has failed to act on that uh, as yet and are saying that they won't make any further payments until the conclusion of the findings. Uh, so very much a, a big constituent of the groups that have have really suffered as a consequence of this um, have yet to receive a penny in compensation. Well, you have done a great service in bringing uh, this particular scandal back uh, full square into the public domain because, as I mentioned, uh, so many young people unaware of what had happened and uh, they should be made aware of that scandal. Uh, we resolved ours happily with compensation, with special health cards and so on. And also uh, the public became acutely aware of what happened and how it happened. Uh, and let's hope that that process continues now on foot of your book in the United Kingdom. The book is called Death in the Blood and its author, Caroline Wheeler, a political editor of the Sunday Times. Thank you very much. 
The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.